0: Welcome to Dark Days Radio presents Dark Hammer, a World, Worlds of Warhammer RPG podcast. I'm one of the regular hosts, Chris, and as always, I'm joined by David, and I am joined by Mike. Hello. Hey, yeah. how's it going? Um, yeah. Ugh. You know, it's bonfire night, and people shouldn't be out doing things, and it's like, Sounds like like Bosnia outside where I am, um, yeah. and of course you know, what? yeah, it's like there's that many fireworks going off that people really shouldn't be doing. Oh, okay, and Ga- gathering, I'm sure, and gathering been... when they shouldn't. Yeah, I'm sure
1: yeah. Like, proper like displays going off near me. I've just been hearing them since about four thirty.
0: Well, oh, there shouldn't be any displays going on. They've all been banned up around my part anyway. Anyway, and of course, yeah, we're going to talk about... Uh, we're talking about the empire today. Uh, we will be talking about the politics and the nonsense of how uh, an emperor is elected by elect counts, uh, which is topical for when we're recording this right now, <laughs> what with the election in the US. Anyway. No comment. No comment, no comment on that one. as well. Elected. Think? Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so we're going to cut through to the new segment so for news uh things are out uh warhammer day has been gone we recorded a playthrough of hell rise to help which is our halloween scenario that myself and david wrote for uh, cubicle 7 for warhammer fantasy roleplay that you can buy uh right now it's on drive through rpg on Cubicle 7s website uh the playthrough that i ran with some of the guys uh who previously played on the orcs on tour uh that will be out on youtube soon enough on gaming uh we're also started uh david's running the enemy within campaign a pharma fantasy role play that takes the place of our ongoing wrath and glory campaign as i have a break from that uh and also part three of enemy within is on the horizon part two
1: part three is next week part two is yeah should be out soon
0: yeah and soulbound is out in hard copy so i got my copy through david you got yours yet are you still waiting i'm still waiting i'm very sad on that uh, uh also Wrath and Glory revised uh that I write for will be out in hard copy soon. So uh, they've had cubicle seven's had like its uh you know test copy of the final print done. Uh so that's cool. <clears throat> uh also uh cool things out, Wrath and uh for Warcry is Cascum's, so that's uh new minis, new campaign, new playstyle, underground, kicking people into pits of lava and running. Uh, Doing wall running and stuff like that, so that's kind of wicked. And yeah, Marathi is uh, the new book out soon Uh, for Age of Sigma, which is again a world-changing event for Age of Sigma: The Mortal Realms. Uh, It's basically called Shattered Realms, the whole series. No Broken Realms. Broken Realms. Uh, So this is akin to some of the stuff they've done for uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand previously. Um, Think about it as like a way a psychic,
1: of psychic awakening. It's kind of uh, yeah, part of psychic awakening. But Mar- it's trying to become a goddess. As Pooh. it's
0: ushering, yeah, and it's ushering in a few uh, rules updates, some new things. So it's kind of like a soft rules update to some of the factions as well, um, mm-hmm. rather than bringing out a whole new edition, which isn't really needed. Age of Sigma. Uh, but yeah. there are
1: lots of lots of narrative things going on there. So for Soulbound, there's lots of really cool things happening.
0: Yeah, Anvilguard features heavily in this as well. So Oh, that's the uh, other that... thing that's come
1: out. Uh, Soulbound Anvilguard
0: has come. Yes. Out. The City Guide. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that's I think pretty much all the news. I don't think there's was an... uh,
2: I don't I don't know Chris. I mean, I think there's one big huge news that we missed, which is very important, and that's that Games Workshop is now giving out free miniatures.
0: Oh yeah, that's crazy. Yes. News. Oh yes. Crazy.
1: Yes. When they're allowed to open again. So,
0: yeah, so basically it's like you go along to a store and you can get a free miniature that is um, thematically fits with whatever the major release is that month. Mm Yeah, it's kind of cool. They're also doing the whole thing of, like, buy 10 pots of paint and you get the expense, one of the the most expensive pot in that 10 for free. Yeah, so kind of like
1: paint collections that other companies do.
0: Yeah, um, I'm kind of shocked. GW, like... Giving away free stuff. They've done really well over lockdown. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. their, uh, their share price is rocketing uh, and they've done tons of tons of good stuff. Yeah, I, mean, uh,
1: I spend lots of money with them and build half an army.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. I've painted an army and waiting for some new terrain. Anyway, uh, is that everything for news and interesting fun stuff? Yeah, I think so. Cool. So our main topic is about the Empire. Okay, so uh, why are we doing the Empire? Well, uh, it fits with what we're playing right now uh, for the stream games. And the Empire is, of course, the default predominant major element of the setting of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, Warhammer Fantasy The Old World, the forthcoming kind of reboot of the um, tabletop game. And it really is our lens into this diverse and crazy little world. Uh, so I'm going to rattle through the history of the old world in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go real, real fast on this. So it's Origins. Uh, it's over 2500 years old uh the first humans came in from across the uh, world's edge mountains coming into lands that were traditionally held by the dwarves and by uh the uh, by the uh, elves uh they were fleeing greenskins greenskins and so forth uh the, there were first some humans and they were kind of very druidic and old faith and then there was another lot of uh migrants that came in and they're the ones which really went forward to create the uh, the tribes uh, that would form the empire. So there were there are twelve major tribes, of which Sigmar was one of them, and he was born heralded by a twin tail comet. Uh, he grew in power, prowess, uh, and at age fifteen, even like saved a uh, Kurgan Ironbeard, who was a uh, important uh, dwarven king. And as a result of saving this dwarf in battle, uh, he got the legendary weapon uh, Galmaraz, or Skull Splitter. Uh, and, of course, off the back of this, then Sigmar grows in power, grows in influence, gathers together an army, gathers together, uh, begins gathering together the tribes. Uh, and you know, at one point, they, uh, there were those that followed one of the older gods, uh, Ulric, uh, and they saw Sigmar as basically a, a serper, a charlatan. But uh, he proved his faith walking through some holy fire uh, in Middenheim. And as a result, uh, you know, was considered holy and worthy of what he was doing. Uh, so it was really after a huge battle against orcs. Uh, they're the traditional uh, kind of uh, evil sigma fights as well as the undead. Uh, he brought together the tribes. He was elected, well, not elected, he was made emperor, but he couldn't control all the tribes within the empire. And so he made the tribal leaders counts the elect accounts. There are 12 in total, which is why 12 is the magic number of sigma and is why it's still the magic number of sigma in Age of Sigma. Uh, and he also to each of these uh elect counts they were given 12 rune made by a dwarf called Alaric the Mad. So these are kind of like the symbol of their authority. Rightdorff, Reitdorf was the, his uh, was his capital, being renamed Altdorf and roads were built. And basically, there was a huge prosperous period, empire building. And after this time, Sigma abdicated after fifty years, having fought a number of things: the Norse from the from from the north, uh, he even faced Nagash, uh, and he had a brush with death and will even mess his father out of the gates of the underworld so there's a whole load of things with how sigmar brought together the empire with no heir, though the electric were like who's going to take over and so they basically elect uh elect someone to take his role take the seat of of emperor and there's a whole series of different uh emperors over time some uh better at their job than others some are complete dilettantes uh some are quite bad some are quite heroic uh other things that move into the empire to really establish it as we know now uh obviously sigma is uh eventually seen as a god uh by Johann hellstrom who becomes the first grand theogenist and thus also gains the ability uh not that he gains the ability but he gains the privilege to also be considered an elector to choose the next emperor uh then the certain provinces disappear like in 897 uh the drugfold army was defeated and so the province of drugfold disappeared and its elector role its uh, runefang were taken and claimed by another province uh then other places like in the 11th century mootland where a lot of halflands that was turned into a province and given uh the ability to you know given the the privilege to elect an emperor you know have a vote in it uh there's been plagues, uh, which led to uh, you know, Boris the Incompetent, for example, in eleven fifteen, you know, secluded himself in Karaberg, and his entire electors were all, you know, basically killed uh during a bull. Very uh mask of the red death kind of scenario. And yeah. that's thanks to the Skaven. Skaven's attacks, so there's a whole Skaven War, uh, but they were defeated by Mandrid von Zelt of Middenheim, who broke it broke them, who became Mandred uh, the first Skaven Slayer and pretty major. And this is a really interesting historical time period. You could set your games of Warhammer fantasy because only one third of the empire survived during this point and Skaven, are not something that's considered a myth they are real out there and people accept they're real so you could really change the flavor of your warhammer fantasy roleplay games for the empire if you set it there obviously the skaven being the arch bastards they are took revenge and stabbed Mandred one knife for each of the council of the horned rat other than the great horned rat so 12 knives stabbed into him pretty brutal which leads us to, and this is a major feature of obviously Warhammer the Old World from uh, Forge World slash Specialist Games, is the time of three emperors. So we basically have a situation where there's a Grand Duke in Stirland who claimed the title in Noln, basically declares herself emperor. You have the Grand Duchess Attila of uh, Talabacatland who declares herself empress. Uh, and you get some other people claiming to be emperors like Grand Duke Heinrich of Midland. And they all are trying to claim it and then their ants then their um their own heirs try to claim claim it. So there's this ongoing period uh, for almost like about a good five hundred thousand years, uh, where there is no singular emperor. Uh Runefang of Drakvold is kept in Midheim, stolen taken to None, because obviously it's a symbol of uh, of uh, power and then pretty major event again another cool time period to look at historical warhammer is 1681 in sylvania uh basically agash returns in 1666 uh, after having been previously defeated by uh, sigma and it, it leads to sylvania being uh, a hotbed a nest of vampirism and uh, the undead and as a result, Sylvania uh, beca- tried to become independent of Stirland during the Night of Restless Dead. Uh, there's some other things where Ostermark became independent as well. The realm of Solon was destroyed and absorbed into Wissenland. So again, this is something we see throughout the em- uh, the history of the Empire, something that the Emperor does, is they can dissolve or form new provinces, remove electors, uh, create new ones, create new titles. Um, So that's quite uh, interesting. Obviously, this political turmoil is uh, really a problem because obviously there's roving bands of orcs. We've already said I'm dead. Uh, And at one point, uh, the Grand Theogenes just declares the office of Emperor Vacant, which leads us to the year 1999, our favourite year in the entire history of uh, Mm -hmm. the Old World, because Mordheim gets struck by a uh, comet. Mordheim was the capital of Ostermark, and then This, you know, it's a long time that Mordheim is about as the city of the damned. You can go back to our episode of Mordheim to learn more about that city. But following that, we have, or leading up to that event as well, we have Vlad von Karstein is now a vampire in 1797, marrying Isabella von Drack, taking control of Sylvania from Otto von Drack. Um, And then for 200 years, he takes different guises until in 2010, so after Mordheim, Leads his vampire war, so you've got Mordheim struck, you've got three emperors, you've got inter rivalry within the empire, civil war, and now you've got freaking vampires and a vampire army. Which were, and he was slain by uh the Master of the Knights of the White Wolf in 2025, but then came back like you do before being slain during the siege of Outdorf by Prince Ludwig, who uh, um, oh no, he well, uh, sorry, he got slain by the Prince Ludwig, he fell, and then, I think, did I put slain? No, slain by the Grand Theogilus. So, yeah, Vlad just doesn't seem to die, mostly due to his Karstein uh, ring. Conrad, though, takes up the mantle, does more of this stuff. Uh, He gets cut down. um, And then there's more unrest because after Conrad is chief archbastard of the end of the old world, we find out if we go all the way to that, is Manfred von Karstein. Who was eventually stopped uh, by the Grand Theogenes of the time, Kurt III, uh, at the Battle of Hellfen. Following that, we then get Azavar Kul, so we get the real first proper Great Chaos invasion of the North. Basically, lays waste to Kislev, Eringrad, Prague, uh, Kislev the realm rather than Kislev the city. Known mm-hmm. uh, is taken over by the Magi Azinch cult, and this. Is then stopped. This cult is then stopped by the rise of Magnus von bill uh Bildhofen, who's the noble and sigmarite priest, and was foretold by a twin-tailed comet. Yeah. Uh and Magnus liberates Norn, leads a crusade across the Empire, uh, gets the um gets recognized by the R-Ulrich, the chief priest of the cult of Ulrich, and then they lead this, you know, this this army, uh, this crusade north to Kislev. And along the way, at uh, uh, Talabaheim, they meet three High Elves, Teclis, and Yertal. And basically, this is, the, this is the moment where, before where magic was considered heresy, illegal, something to ooh, a crime. Uh, they realized magic was the only... Magnus realized magic was the one way to defeat chaos. They're joined by the dwarves, uh, and uh, eventually they save Kislev, Magnus slays uh, Azavarkul cool, and uh, as a result is declared emperor. And following that, Mordheim is leveled. He returns you know, and establishes with Teclis the Colleges of Magnus uh, Magic in um, Outdoor. Magnus rules for 65 years, new program of rebuilding, education, political reform, weaponry, magic. Uh some political things, you know, rise of new city-states, uh, as places like Nolan and so forth are declared independent. Which really brings us to the modern age, because that's 23 uh, uh, 2302 is basically the Chaos Invasion. So not that long ago by uh current Warhammer uh timelines. The modern age, Magnus' brother, is denied the throne. There's a whole series of new emperors again. Typical political bribery and all that erodes the uh, the power base of the the emperor until finally we get really the current emperor Carl Franz. I believe Karl Franz is second, uh, and that he's declared emperor in 2502, which pretty much brings us up to where Warhammer Fantasy roleplay uh is set currently, if you're playing modern Warhammer Fantasy. But again, you know, you could easily play during the time of Mordheim and the Three Emperors, and, you know, highly recommend that time period. It changes, you know, witchcraft is 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 outlawed, um, firearms are much rarer, or you could play during the time period of where Magnus the Pious is around and be part of that Grand Crusade, uh, or you could be there for the Vampire Wars, uh, potentially even witnessing or witnessing the might of Nagash. Uh, there's a lot of of historical flashpoints which you can make use of. That's the history of the Empire. Done. So I will hand over to... What do we want to talk about next? Because we've spoken about the history of it, but the Empire has a flavour and character of its own which influences how we depict it and use it in our games.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, first off, Chris, well done on going through that history so fast. That was uh, yeah, that's really a impressive. In
0: a very short
1: period of time. Well
0: done.
1: Yeah, yeah. Until <laughs> you I the end times
0: you can tell i've given lectures before i'm gonna squeeze all this content in no time to these students anyway yeah how are we gonna what, what do we want to talk about first
2: uh well i mean i think so going over the history and uh you know people probably recognize a lot of the uh the style of names and styles of uh uh of like locations and it's it's pretty obvious that the uh, empire of sigmar is largely a stand-in uh for the uh holy roman empire in our real world's history, uh, which is really useful to know. Uh, because if you're ever just kind of scratching your head and like, I'm not sure exactly how this works, I don't know, you know particularly how the economics might work, um, you could just check on Wikipedia, how did it work in the Holy Roman Empire? And you'd probably be pretty close, um, really which is true. just a, a pretty simple way to to go about things if you're just preparing a more Warhammer Fantasy role play session. If you're writing the books, however, uh, obviously, you guys have to do some other research into uh, previous stuff.
1: And if you want to look as well just look at holy roman empire during the kind of when germany or what is now modern germany was kind of the head of the state and look at some of the olden towns around there and you'll get the look and image of what it actually looks like so towns like heidelberg some parts of strasbourg and things like that you'll see that kind of architecture and look of what um just to give you that kind of imagery over the the words as well so um definitely def- oh
0: definitely yeah something like that yeah um you could also stylistically get some inspiration i mean um places like regensburg uh is a mm. historical uh, medieval historical town uh in germany uh you could also look at um i mean it's a bit more baroque in its design but the palace in um uh where is it i i my mind's gone a blank suddenly um
1: yeah, mine did as well I Dresd, my...
0: In, Dresd, in uh, Dresden uh, I think it's Dresden yeah. um, The the Baroque Palace there Is um, quite impressive And I think it's used in One of the live action Disney films for you Because know, it's Palace um, But yeah, yeah, there's lots Bohemian. you can look at For that yeah, yeah. I would I'd
1: definitely yeah. look at, for Reichland, Which is where the, the rule book is kind of mainly based That's kind of what we would Probably consider as Bohemia so you're looking at mm. Northern Czech Republic, South Eastern Germany in the, the Black Forest and stuff like that. So have a look at that kind of area as well. There's some really cool kind of things around there for that kind of stylistic viewpoint.
2: Yep, definitely, definitely. But I, I tend have, to look um, at the uh, the 30 years war period, yeah, um, yes. especially because yes. that plays a lot into the politics of the situation and what's going on. Mm. Um, because when you, it's getting back to the actual empire itself. Um, in the kind of modern era in which the Warhammer fantasy Roleplay uh, setting and games take place, the, uh, uh, the background of this country provides for a lot of, a lot of tension and, uh, and politics to be played out. So uh, your poor characters could get stuck in uh, different like, border disputes uh, about provinces and uh, um, succession laws. Um, obviously, there's going to be lots of armies of heavily armed troops moving about to face off against, say, beastmen in the forest or mobilizing to uh, counter some uh, Norscan raids coming from the north, uh, or maybe actually just dealing with some of the uh, religious tensions that exist in the empire, uh, which we will uh, get to a little bit later. And uh, there's a really cool idea that Chris left in here, which is uh, piracy upon the rivers, because uh, river trade is such a big, big deal in the empire uh, that there's going to be a lot of thieves and cutthroats. Um, in a Pirates of the caribbean way except on rivers in this yep. uh in these kind of dark forests of this uh country
1: the navy like the empire has a navy it doesn't have a very big coastline and most of the coastline is kind of built of castles to protect from norse norse because it's a northern coastline mm-hmm. rivers in the empire are massive and you do get full on galleons patrolling a lot of the rivers. Um, not to drop too many subtle hints but if you continue listening to the enemy within we might see some of this stuff depending on how these
0: guys take us <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah and 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 going back to that briefly uh, about those roles about armies and pirates those are full-on careers that as player mm. characters you can you can you can have so you know you yeah. can be a wrecker you can be a smuggler you can be a stevedore and of course talking about armies, you can be anything from a, a lowly soldier, you can be a knight, you could be a warrior, priest of Sigma, uh, flagellant, all those things fit into that kind of martial kind of roles of, um, of, the, of the setting, which... Ha-
1: a knight breaks the game a little bit because you have access to a war horse.
0: But... Yeah, well, you know, it uh, swings Something around about isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's good for food and good for selling if you need some money.
0: But, Mike, um, you were saying like going back to Thirty Years' War and everything, how it influences uh, the setting. I mean, that influences also kind of like how the empire's government and law and 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 just politics operates.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, to kind of explore the empire a little bit further, let's ta- let's tackle some uh, specific topics. And uh, Chris, I definitely think you're right that uh, discussing the law and how it's set up is pretty important. So, the empire is a confederation of states which are loosely held together by the emperor. Um, Really, each of the elector counts that elects the emperor uh, is kind of, they're almost like their own little country in a lot of ways. And um, the emperor has to uh, jockey for power with them quite often. So there's a lot of politics and bribes related to how the new emperor is chosen. Uh, Of course, the emperor then has to renew those promises and... Uh, if a new elector count uh, comes to their own little throne, uh, they might not play nice with the current emperor, uh, or maybe looking ahead to when they could be elected to become emperor. So that's definitely a big thing to, to keep in mind. Now, imperial law uh, is kind of its own little interesting thing. Uh, laws are passed by the prime estates, who reports the uh, electors, and the emperor himself is not usually just making decrees and acting as a tyrant. There's a, a whole legal system that he has to play within. Um, and of course, the emperor, once this new law is, is agreed upon and enacted, has to convince the electors to go ahead with that new law. So it could be that uh, a new law is passed to um, levy troops from every one of these uh, counties, and Some electors might just ignore it, they might just choose to not help out, which is a pretty frequent issue uh, in the empire when they need to raise an army because they're being threatened by a chaos invasion or there's um orcs coming in from the mountains. The uh, the emperor just can't raise uh, an army fast enough.
0: So, a, a quick side note is um, <clears throat> the deputies to the, elect- to the electors who form the prime estates uh, that was enacted because the current emperor of that time, I can't remember who. Try to make his favorite racing horse like a noble, and they were like, What the hell's hmm. going on? So it's there to stop the insanity of a ty- of a potential tyrant.
1: And if you yep. do go back in the history, there have been many tyrant emperors. Um, mm. So this is kind of the current iteration of the way the, the law stands. If you do go, back, yeah. there have been some very, very horrible emper- emperors. Um, kind of, it kind of. Fits in a little bit with some of the Sylvania stuff as well. There was some certain nasty stuff happened to cause some of that. So anyway, we'll carry on with modern times and we'll delve into Sylvania when we do vampires, I think.
0: So what kind of laws does an emperor really... What what kind of like law and control does an emperor have? I mean, we said military intervention.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, So yeah, security is a big part of the laws. Um, Succession comes up a lot. Um, In the current iteration of the empire, usually an elector can choose their own heir which is kind of interesting. Um if you go through and, and take a look at uh, who's choosing who, like there's a lot of women that are um elector counts or countesses and they they choose their successor to also be a woman, which is uh uh interesting and uh you know, I think it's a little progressive of Warhammer. I was actually checking this back in the um I enemy mean, within first editions. This was back in the 80s that they were doing this. Uh, the mm-hmm. writers were writing that. So, I think that was pretty good. And then stuff about like hmm? what's up?
1: No, go ahead. No, I was going to say if you look at what we did on the last session of Enemy Within, um, you meet a female noble. uh, Mm -hmm. So they are very much trying to keep an even footing, and uh, it is quite progressive that you're seeing these female quite powerful characters around, um, which is kind of cool.
2: Yep, definitely. Um, Gender roles are less of a... They're not as as ridiculously constrictive as they were in the real historical Holy Roman Empire, for example. Um, you can definitely play an empowered woman, and no one should have a problem with that in Warhammer. Yeah. Um, so that said, yeah, stuff about like aristocratic status and the like. Um, one of the really fun things to uh, deal with in the Empire is, of course, taxes. <laughs> um, that's that's I think I think the funnest way for characters to interact with the uh, imperial law, um, because the Empire taxes anything and everything. Uh, one thing I was reading in Enmuth in, in Muthin, uh, first edition, not not the actual plot of the game, David, don't worry about it. I was just checking out the uh, kind of background information that was in the front of that book. Um, cool. Apparently, each imperial citizen is supposed to pay one gold crown per year, and I knowing one gold play, to Yeah, it's incredibly yeah. expensive. And I was thinking about that a little bit. Um, that's definitely a way to keep serfs. Stay as serfs because they are never able to pay that gold crown. It's probably their their I don't want to say owner their uh their liege lord uh who mm-hmm. pays that gold crown for them and maybe maybe gets a discount on it a bulk rate or something. Um, <laughs> so that's probably why What's a lot of these serfs still exist and they can't they can't ever escape.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, and there's other things like toll fees along the roads. Uh gate or entry fees just to get into a city window taxes that's right you got to pay a silver shilling for every window in your house that you own uh
1: actually from historical context because it does
2: yep
1: if you look at amsterdam the reasons they have weird buildings is a lot to do with uh land taxes and window taxes and stuff so it's why they have really small narrow tall buildings
2: yep yeah um in new england there was a room tax uh at one point where the uh the king of England was trying to get extra money out of the colonists for how many rooms they had in their house. And um, we have a you,
1: bedroom tax in England, so um, mm. <laughs> we won't get into that one. OK, but fair I, enough.
2: Um, there might be, at, at one point, there might be a beard tax. And then immediately after, or maybe as this tax still exists, there's also a shaving tax. So why are there so many taxes? Um, it's because immediately after a tax is passed, uh, there's usually a special interest group or many of them, that demand exemptions. So the guilds might demand an exemption from the toll fees uh, along the roads of the Reichwald. Uh, The dwarves might demand an exemption, rightly so, against the beard tax. And this means that the tax, despite being passed, uh, you know, it doesn't have the desired windfall. So immediately they need to make a new tax to uh, try to get more money. And of course, special interests step in again, and the song and dance continues with more and more taxes. Uh, of course, the poor have no one protecting them, so they're pretty much exposed to every single one of these taxes, which leads to the crushing poverty in the cities and, of course, serfdom out in the rural areas.
1: He will get his pig. He will get his pig.
2: Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I think he
1: will get his pig.
2: Uh, that's right. Yeah, it's probably a probably a pig tax or livestock fee.
1: Not just a pig tax. There's a, there's a pig tax and there's a tax for clipping its trotters. Oh, mm.
2: mm. Anyway, so moving on, uh, some of the more unique uh, laws, of course, are things like magic and heresy. So um, magic is heavily, heavily regulated in the Empire still. Uh, wizards basically need to be taught at the Colleges of Magic in Altdorf or at one of the uh, few universities that exist, like the uh, University of Nuln. Um And if you're not taught in one of, these, uh, one of these colleges or have like a real apprenticeship to a wizard or something, and you're just kind of like this hedge wizard or a witch out in the woods, uh, things are probably not going to work out well for you once the law catches up. Uh, of course, yes. there were heretical... Mm-hmm.
1: That's kind of one of the fun things you can do because you can play a hedge witch as one of the characters. Yep. And so you could have that kind of interplay of the colleges of magic are hunting you down because you are seen as a heretic, but maybe you're not. You're just not had the opportunity to be part of the colleges. So um, there's an
0: the interplay there with the characters. Mm -hmm. It also lends itself to, uh, again, highlighting the difference between certain regions of the Mm -hmm. Empire where, say, the old faith uh, still exists, so that's really talking more about the Elder Gods uh, and people that follow that, Mm -hmm. and and follow those old ways, so uh, especially if you move more and more away from... The, the cities and the larger towns, uh, you know, hedge wizardry would be maybe a little bit more accepted because, you know, they're the local wise woman. Uh, though, of course, as Mike will explain, uh, hedge wizardry could quite easily just be a cover for something far, far darker.
1: Yeah. And again, it relates back to, um, especially in England during the witch trials, witches were accepted up to, um, in all the small villages because they were the healers and then james the first came along and went yeah no i don't like this and so he killed them all. Um, mm. but witches were still like an accepted part of the main religion of the of the british Isles at the time so you're seeing a lot of crossovers with medieval europe within even these base ideas but yeah her- heretical cult cult, cult uh, words heretical cults of the young Mike.
2: Yeah, so that's a big concern, of course, is these uh, these heretics out there worshipping the ruinous powers or maybe working with necromancers uh, raising the, uh, the dead. Uh, and these keep springing up throughout the Empire and uh, they're a real problem. So, of course, these unsanctioned sorcerers and heretical cults are brought to justice uh, more often than not by the witch hunters of the Holy Order of the Templars of Sigmar. And boy, do they look cool. They're also, you know, pretty mean dudes, but, uh, you know.
1: Not particularly pleasant, friendly people, but they get the job done. Mm.
2: Indeed. Indeed. And it's actually interesting, uh, Chris, you're bringing up that um, there's some of these, like, old faith witches and the like out in the woods who are probably getting their their, they could be getting like spells and other magical powers from more, like, um, uh, priestly or god sources. But uh, to a witch hunter, they might not be able to tell the difference between them and a uh, and a, a chaos cultist, or a uh, a rogue wizard, so they're probably just going to end up getting witches, torched anyway.
1: Some of the witches might even not might think that they're getting it from their old gods, but Zench works in strange ways. So, uh,
0: yeah, indeed, yeah, um, and it's it you know it, it, that's something to look at is that these old cult, you know the, these uh, heretical cults will obviously initially may well start somewhere where there are less prying eyes and where they can develop inroads that into more Mm. um civilized uh places um and then like you were saying with um with other things to do with like we we spoke about pirates so uh and we're talking about imperial law so is there anything like the police who do we turn to when for regular for dealing with regular crime i say regular crimes what happens even when if someone Mm. wants to murder someone
2: yeah, definitely. So the peace is usually maintained by the local road wardens. If you're out on some of the highways of the Empire, uh, the road warden would uh, be the one who's just kind of patrolling around, making sure there's no problems, and probably collecting some, like, tolls and fees along the way. Or, of course, there's going to be some uh, some local thugs that are called the City Watch, Um So when you're in a more urban environment, that's who you'll be dealing with. And usually, you know, it's pretty easy to bribe your way out of minor infractions. You know, it can be just like an on-the-spot fine, in quotation marks. Um, uh, And beyond that, if you actually get in real trouble, you're taken to jail, uh, taken to debtor's prison. That's still a thing in the Empire. Uh, There are imperial courts uh, in each of the major cities, which have uh, judges in each of them, which are appointed by the Emperor.
1: These are expensive. Um, Yeah, Hmm. These are they're not cheap. they are dragged out, and they are expensive. This is not if you want to go to court in the empire, you better be prepared to to be forking out a lot of a lot of money. and that's not just in court fees, that's in bribes as well. so you're definitely looking at um, your normal person is either going to pay the bribe or go to the stocks. Mm.
0: and I think um, that's that's actually quite interesting. it's because. Uh, status is an important thing about in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Like each character has a, a status, if they either they're br- uh, bronze, silver, or gold, and then they have a number associated with it, which is not only associated with, associated with how much money they make from their profession, or their holdings mm. or whatever, uh, that has influ- influence on social interactions. And that leads us to a point of like, as you were saying, like courts are expensive. So also related to that is if, say, a... Uh, if there was a fight between, say, let's just take for example, some uh, a knight and
1: a Bretonian.
0: Uh, uh, well, I was going to say like a noble. Uh, a fight broke out, but some for whatever reason between a noble and a merchant. Right? You know, there might be a slap on the wrist to the noble, uh, but they're not going to. It's not. It's not really a crime in the sense that you know they have higher station than the merchant. And likewise, if it was someone that if they killed. In some fight, some petty squabble, uh, some sort of pleb, uh, then no one's really going to give a damn uh, mm. about about that. I mean, sure, you don't want nobles constantly doing this, constantly making a reputation for kicking up fights and and killing killing some other noble, some other gentry's workers. You know, there is that, but for the most part, uh, you know, I think really like like in the case of your character. Are mostly able to take some dispute to some local court, mostly managed by the guilds to deal with business interests. But they're not; mm-hmm. she's not. Yeah. Your character's not going to go to imperial courts to take this because she can't afford the uh, court fees.
2: Yeah, correct, correct. And that's actually a, that's an important point. The guilds that exist, uh, like the uh, the merchants' guild, different artisan guilds, and the like uh stevedores have their own guilds it's kind of like l- labor organizations they have their own kind of like pseudo courts that exist that's a great point uh and could be a interesting thing to uh to portray in your games as well
1: oh yeah the guilds the guilds are a very very major part um cuz if if you're a, suppose if you're a freeman um so you're not beholden to any of the lords lords or so you're most likely going to be working with, with within one of the guilds it, or you're going to be part of the military um, so you're not going to be going to the imperial courts if you're the military you're going to be dealing with military courts which are probably just as which are probably very quick and brutal and compared to the imperial courts the guilds, each guild will have its own set of rules and laws um, and each guild probably spends a lot of time arguing
0: with other guilds over their... mostly also has membership <laughs> fees <laughs> <laughs> right anyway um, okay uh, so I think that's given us a sense of of legal matters and uh, you know most crimes like also so I, I was reading up briefly on like uh, medieval uh, and post-medieval like law and order like most crimes if you are convicted of a crime is immediately dealt with with hanging beheading is left yeah. to um, as a is is a punishment for like nobles who've properly committed a crime uh, of of importance. Uh, nobles are really the only people that are going to go in prison for a long time prison is a temporary holding place for your eventual pr- uh, you know punishment so prison is not the punishment and uh you know so if you are a pleb that prison is to pr- yeah if you if you're a pleb who's you know committed a crime you're going to prison before you get hung and that's likely going to take place within a week uh not like you know you're not going to spend months and months uh in a prison and if you read upon what prisons were like for nobles like if a noble got sent to prison they could still have uh, they could still pretty much draw uh, I say money from their lands they could still have visitors and quite a lot they would still actually have quite a few freedoms they just weren't allowed to leave prison kind of more of
1: uh, a house arrest kind of thing
0: yeah uh, so uh, what next do we want to chat about um so, what else have we got here? So, we've got structure of the empire because we have a very shall I do this a bit quickly? And then we can talk about yeah, economics. Yeah, go for it. Okay.
1: To... So, is so... the the not em... going to be coming into the game. So,
0: yeah. So, the emperor has a cabinet, which is obviously filled with people that deal with matters of state, monetary, religious. These are all have titles associated with them, but yeah, you know, there is his private cabinet because uh, one man can't do all things. Then there's the prime states, as we said, their deputies, the elected there's also ambassadors as well. And they'll be, they will move where the emperor is. So the, so Outdorf is not the capital of the empire. It's the capital right now. Uh, so when a new emperor comes to power, they will likely move the court to their city uh, state or their capital city of their province. Uh the provinces are divided into counties and baronies and leagues. So you get this whole, you know, uh, fiefdoms and and uh, you know, there's always someone that you have to talk to to kind of sort out something else over here. So if you have a problem with a borders dispute with some some uh, some town elder on the border of your province you have to go up first and talk to most likely the elect account who then will sort it out for you and mediate that. Uh, Obviously that means the people of the empire and this huge conversation, you just, we're not going to cover ever, but everywhere has its own kind of ancestry and culture. So, if you choose not to run Warhammer Fantasy in the Reichland, have a bit of a read around either in the old books or the books that are published or have a look at the wikis and try and get some flavour into the culture of of those places. Um, yeah. They might even have a different style of government. Uh, they might have actually a little bit more democracy. Uh, uh, there are also, the, the point we're also making is that there are provinces and city-states. So uh, like Norn is based in, uh, which province is Noln in? Old land? I don't
1: know, no. but it's a city
0: state. It's just a city state. Yeah. Uh, and and city states also have their own military and economic political power as well as provinces. So an, an elector for, or ruler for each of these regions is expected to maintain an army for, for that area. Which really brings us on to I think we'll talk about economics. Oh, so, it, what's there really to say about the economics of the empire? We've already said there's taxes.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's not that, just to give you kind of a feel for for what the empire was like or is like in this in this setting. Um it's a major trade hub for the world just cuz it has a large population and it's um pretty affluent. Um it also has a really robust internal economy because of all the internal trade that's easy to do and pretty cheap to do. Um you know, there's there's good roads and they're pretty flat. Um there's also of course the river boats um, and this whole network of rivers this Basically, you know, super highway uh, where you can just float goods around for uh, for pretty cheap. Um, but the empire is also really fun to portray in this game because it's kind of this nation that's at the cusp of the industrial evolution uh, revolution, but it can never actually seem to get there, uh, which is probably due to all the hideous monsters in the woods and all these invasions by horrific monsters from the chaos wastes to the north. Also, uh, my
1: family doesn't exist in this world, so that's half the
2: issue. Mm. As a um,
1: Joseph Whitworth.
2: indeed indeed um but yeah you can have a fun time exploring all this new technology uh and how it has effects on society uh so like printing presses were just invented the uh, uh high levels or advanced careers of the agitator will have to have a, a printing press as one of their trappings um so you can explore you know written word being spread much further and uh, how they can be used for political reasons um there's steam tanks in the Imperial Army and literal mechanical horses. Um, mm-hmm. So there's some really interesting kind of steampunk sort of things that you can explore as well and, uh, and play around with. But on the other side of the spectrum, you still have a large portion of the population that's just toiling in the fields uh, under serfdom. So you can you can play around with that. Uh, we we're also talking a little bit about the guilds, which are these uh, different kind of labor organizations for merchants, uh, different professionals and, and uh, laborers. Uh, who basically control a monopoly for certain trade goods or crafts. Um, and the guilds can be a really good ant- antagonist for your game, because uh, maybe the characters are hired, let's say, to brew a potion. Um, but the reagents they need are controlled, like a controlled substance almost, that only the alchemist guild can get. So they'll have to deal with them or maybe even run into issues because the alchemists think that they're uh, you know, cutting into their business. Cool. Yep. Um, and moving on from uh, economics, let's talk about religion because that's a really important thing that uh, is explored in tons of Warhammer Fantasy games. Um, so of course, we have the uh, uh, perhaps yeah. Oh, we of course have the Cult of Sigmar, which was uh, discussed in the Imperial Faiths Dark Hammer episode. Um, and you know, Sigmar was a man. Uh, he was the uh, first Emperor of the uh, the Empire, um, who was raised to godhood, um, a, becoming basically a god of war hammers, and the empire itself. And his his priests do get these um, you know magical yeah. abilities and gifts, uh, just like the priests of other gods uh, in this setting. So it seems as though there actually is a god that exists. Now, is it really the man Sigmar ascended to godhood? That's what the, the priests will tell you. But from a more f- metaphysical standpoint, it could just be that the impression of this deity created by all these worshipers in the empire has kind of created its own, you know, uh, this, this unique god uh, in, the, uh, in the, well, really, in the chaos realms.
1: Well, te- technically he is, he, dis- he does ascend to godhood himself um, when he dies do, he up into the pantheon.
2: Do we know that, though? We just know that yes. he disappears off into the, uh, into the wilderness. Is there yeah, any we- canonical source that says this is what happened?
0: The only evidence of it is, uh, would be the fact that he is a manifest god in Age of Sigma, but we should ignore Age of Sigma for the purposes of this.
1: Yeah. There's, it, there's, there's hints, there's there's a lot of it within, um, the, could end, be point,
2: the end times.
0: But that's yeah. kind of yeah.
1: beyond where we are now, so.
2: Okay. Um, All right. I mean, that, yeah, that could be the, it could actually be finally defined in the end times, which I've not, I never got to the, uh, the Empire portion of that, either. so I know that um, there
1: are. There's a lot around Sigmar because he has his chosen champion. That I always forget the name of. Uh, um, well, Carl Vulcan. Carl
2: Franz in. uh no, he, in End Times, no. but there was there was a Voltan in the uh, Storm of Chaos, which is now non-canonical.
0: It's no, there is canonical in, to a point. There's uh, a guy Storm who runs around with two hammers.
1: And then he gets a horse in the end times. Yeah. that's Voltan. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's yeah Voltan. Yeah, that's he is canonical in the end times.
2: Oh, okay, cool. That's good that he's back. Yeah. Um yeah, so so Sigmar aside, um Sigmar is actual his own god that he worshipped uh, originally was Ulric, who um uh is this kind of God with this uh, this wolf cult, which is still worshipped quite a bit in uh, the northern portions of the uh, the empire. Um, his priests are centered in Middenheim, but uh, also the city of Wolfenburg in Ostland is uh, uh, another kind of center of his uh, his worship. So you have the this kind of split faith in the empire itself. Um, Sigmar is the the patron saint, um, but there are still many uh, that still worship Ulrich. I was actually thinking about making. Um, uh uh man what's the what's my character's name gertrude uh, gertrude, gertrude <laughs> in the uh, enemy within game a uh, an ulric worshiper but it just didn't that seem be... right she uh, yeah, I, don't know. I, I just don't see it for her specifically she's going to be pretty into like hand rich and that kind of stuff uh, at least mm. for the time being but um that could be a really interesting thing to explore is just having this one character who is more has more of a preference to uh the god ulric than than sigmar um
0: it's at least it's at least uh to a degree acceptable uh it would be considered a very yeah. old faith yeah. kind of thing
2: mm-hmm. you would
0: um,
1: be you'd be more accepted than some of the other gods you could worship
2: yeah mm. yeah and we'll get to those in a second but just a fun thing to point out about these different faiths is that um among the the elector counts and the electoral votes that exist in the uh, empire of sigmar uh three of those votes belong to um the grand Theogenist and archlectors, and then one vote goes to uh, the I can't remember his name, uh, but the the, the, L- the chief Ulrich. The
0: L- yeah, the Al Ulrich, yeah, yeah, that King was it. Yep.
2: yeah, exactly. So it, it's kind of interesting that uh, the votes also extend in that kind of proportionality to these particular uh, cults to to these gods, and yeah, as as uh, Dave was just kind of hinting, we do have these other gods that that exist. Um, in the north, it's the uh, the elder gods, uh, and in the towards the south, uh, especially going down into other lands like the border princes and Tilia, uh, the classical gods are very popular. So in the north, we have Tal, who's kind of an earth god. We have Rhea, who's a goddess of fertility. Uh, Manan, who's the god of the sea and a real jerk, um, and also interestingly, is <laughs> worshipped as um, uh, Mathlon by the elves. So there's there's a direct crossover in gods right there. Uh Ulric we. Crosses
1: over into Age of Sigma. So. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I've totally forgot about that. <laughs> it's one of the few gods that comes over. There's another god that we'll come to in a minute that does cross, kind of crosses over, but yeah, mm, yep. actually is within Age of Sigma. To us,
2: um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we also have Ulric, who we mentioned before. He's a god of winter, wolves, and war. Uh, so you can see how the northern gods in general are really focused on survival and the kind of harsh climates that uh, people are in and really facing off against this dangerous world.
1: Kind of more of your traditional kind of Teutonic, Nordic, Viking-esque kind of gods. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Europe. Yep. Uh, the southern classical gods, uh, for example, are more who's the god of death and dreams, who is also uh, incredibly popular, especially... A, in the context of like eighth mm-hmm. edition, uh, Warhammer Fantasy in the uh, in the Empire, uh, Verena
0: within the roleplay, More is comes up quite a lot with a lot of the uh, characters. Uh, yeah, my Talian character is obviously follows uh, the cult of More. Um, yeah, because it makes mm. sense for his profession. Um, <laughs> but also, yeah, Mike Verena would also fit.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I played a Verena character in the um, Very Merry Mothsdale, uh, one shot that we played a while back. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, and Verena is a, a god, goddess, I should say, of law and yeah. communication. Uh, we have Mermidia, who is a goddess of civilization, beauty, honor, and battle. So she's also kind of a war god as well. Um, Shalia, goddess of healing, charity, and sanctuary. She runs a lot of like, the, the homeless shelters and uh, soup kitchens at the uh, Old World. Um Renald, god of luck and trickery he's really a trickster god in a lot of ways and then of course Cain who I know uh, David really wanted to talk about who's the god of murder and also a- another elf god
1: yeah well um it's not something I wanted to talk about I was just kind of I put that in there so Cain is at, weirdly is actually worshipped within the Empire though very very secretly um, so most people know Cain because the Dark Elves within the within this universe worship Cain as their as one of their main gods and he is pretty he's a pretty archbastard god um and verging on some chaos-esque kind of ideas which is where you get a crossover with Slanesh and things but yeah he's pretty much a god of murder and death and all things horrible and stabby um and it is exactly the same god that the dark elves worship um hence it's not particularly seen as quite favorable within the empire because who thinks worshiping a god of murder is a good idea
2: uh nope uh i think uh i think Cain cults would probably be definitely pretty persecuted uh witch hunters would probably go after them if they caught, caught wind of them um but yeah, overall the, the Southern classical gods tend to be focused uh a lot on society and ensuring that nation states can continue to function. You can see there's a lot about civilization, uh helping people, communication, um, and uh, uh trickery with Ronald. Ronald's kind of an outlier there. <laughs>
0: uh he's a bit he's a, he reminds me of um, um No, Hermes. Hermes, oh yeah. So Herm- okay. oh,
2: Hermes, the the god of uh what is he? He's god of magic and also the god of just like Mess- messengers yeah, just messenger right yeah.
0: yeah yeah but he also was thing. renowned for, he, was, he was also renowned for doing trickery to um like uh titans like centimani and so forth yeah mm. uh um, I mean, he's
1: not he's not your low-key god of trickery
0: he's oh no
1: different di- very much a different kind of god so again you see that dichotomy the northern gods in in the empire are your teutonic stuff and your southern gods are very much more your romantic and your Greek, yeah yeah so we're seeing, again, that, that European influence into it. So, um, But what we also see within this is it's not just... So these are the main gods, and these are the main gods that you will come across, and they all have temples, and they are well-known across the empire. Um, but what you get is um, much, again, like Europe within those times, is each individual region and local locality will have its own individual belief set, and so, in within the actual core book, they actually have a section on gods of the Reichland itself. So you do get regional pantheons. So the gods of the Reichland. i um, got the book open here. We've got examples of. I'm going to absolutely butcher these names, so I do apologise. Uh, Bogenauer, who is a god of uh, so uh, boatmen, merchants, and uh, bogenhafeners. So Bogenhaupten is a town within the Reichland. You have Borkback, who uh, you get agitators, politicians, and lawyers worshipping. him. Cleo is uh, followed by scholars. Diruth is a goddess, and is followed by women folk. Uh, kind of offerings are of generally fruit, honey, and menses. Uh, you've got Grandfather Reich, um, and so this is actually the river. Um, the river reich so they, they they see the river as a god um so merchants burgess fishermen and and kind of people who use the rivers worship uh, grandfather reich and capture who is kind of for bards, lovers and the lonely kind of looking for, for lost loves and stuff um mm. so you're taking the ideas so if you're going beyond the Reichland, you want to go to the other areas like middenheim and stuff like that and you want to create some local cults what you see is a lot of these are Based upon uh, kind of local geography in a way, um, yeah, um, and kind of the way that the culture has built itself up in there. So you could have um, gods based around the mountains and the way that the trees grow on the mountains, um, gods of the seasons and stuff. So as much as you have your main main cults um, going out there, there are even smaller things. And you can go quite folk horror with some of these ideas,
2: yeah, which
1: I know me and Chris are, are looking at in certain things, and we have done certain things.: um,
0: The thing I was going to interject about in so. about this that's also interesting if you look over this because you know we, we've said that the empire is kind of like uh, like the Holy Roman Empire in, mm. uh, in, in modern day Germany. Uh, so also to look at this because I mean the cult of sigma has elements of it which you could say it's very kind of catholicism ish with it with yeah. it's appearance, with witch hunters uh with with its religion though obviously it's a much more martial it's, built. it's a much more martial um religion as well so i would really what i would say is is to really further get your head into this is imagine that the roman empire of our our world our history uh, didn't turn to Christianity and instead what happened was that the main religion became Mithraism. So yes uh, you could look at Mithraism uh, as, an, as an example so imagine if that had uh, been maintained as the, the primary religion faith of, of uh, the Roman Empire uh, and, and, and the caveat that Mithras was a real person who also had an immaculate uh, uh, had a, had a uh, virgin birth scenario much like Jesus Ah uh, though it was much mm-hmm. more martial, uh, I think that would that kind of i think fits fits this kind of where um the Warhammer world kind of comes from if we draw that yeah. parallel and
1: you can you can throw in the the Nordic thing for Ulrich because Ulrich is quite clearly Odin, Odin crossover thing going on there
0: so. yeah okay, um let's wrap up quickly some other bits uh let's quickly go just quickly state what's the military like and what's travelling like?
1: Also oh, military. Um, as we've st- stated, uh, there are many. There are different provinces, and there are different states within within the empire. Each is ordered by the emperor to maintain an army. Um, they are all separate armies. They're not one unified army. Um, so each city state has their own army, and they can maintain it in whatever way they like. Uh, but they must, at a moment's call from the emperor, if the emperor needs it bring their army to help, or they use it to defend their own lands. You have the Imperial Navy, um, as we've talked about before. Yes, the empire has a coast. It's not a very big coast. Most of the work seems to be done on the waterways and byways of the empire. Um, and it certainly has a presence within Altdorf. Um, Altdorf is in Smackbank in the middle of landlocked region, but has massive rivers flowing through it and there is still Navy presence in there. So if you're looking to use the Navy, you don't have to be on the coast or at sea. You can still come across it within mm-hmm. um, different areas of the Empire as long as there's river access.
2: Yeah, I think they're called uh, river patrols, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, there's some river patrols, but there's also full-on armadas.
2: Oh, there's actual like galleys that are sailing down yeah. the river? Uh, yes, there yes, really are. Okay, nice. Um,
1: you're looking I at like kind of rivers. I think they take the idea of like the Danube, and things but yeah it much bigger like danube is a big river within europe and goes through germany and hungary and
2: yeah like there's the uh the elba river another that's big another big one. one yeah
0: yep. um,
1: when an arm when a when um the army is maybe at war somewhere away and they need uh, a city-state needs to then um kind of bolster its own home defenses it looks to Militia and mercenaries, and these are quite prevalent within the empire. Um, I'm trying to remember uh, Dogs of War. So, if you look at kind of third, fourth, fifth edition, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles tabletop game, there is army books based around the Dogs of War and all the different mercenary companies out there, um, and these come from all kinds of regions. Um, there are ones from Tilia, there are ones from I think there's some some from Arabe.
0: Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other places. Uh, there's the bear men of whatever, that mm-hmm, yeah. are basically, North. There's um, yeah.
2: lumping croops, lumping croops fighting cocks, the halfling mercenary group.
1: Mm. Yes, yes, there's halflings. Um, and there's so there's lots of different things out there. So um, you do have these other support kind of networks that kind of are hired by um, the city, state, or the province that they're in. Uh, and they can add a nice little bit of flavor to your game maybe you come across one of these mercenary groups or one of these militia groups and they're like yeah we want to bring you into us and go fight for us or um we think you're one of the baddies it's like and then you start to fight them he's like yeah but we're not getting paid enough to die so we'll run away um, but the one of the major things that a lot of people seem to to miss um and this isn't um, i am going to bring in age of sigma here and i am going to bring in my, uh, my mild annoyance at certain parts of Asia. I used to be an Empire player in Warhammer Fantasy, and I had a really brilliant knightly armor army. Um, this no longer exists in so uh, Age of Sigma and the Cities of Sigma armies. There are no more knightly orders, and it really annoys me. But anyway, there's- really, like yeah. you no, can't use, no, you you can't use the exist. kits anymore. Nope. the kits don't exist at all.
2: What? Those are like some of the best kits ever.
1: Yeah, I know. They don't exist. Oh my anymore. gosh. It's very much gripes at a lot of people. And you, don't, you can't even have the, mecha- uh, the general on the mechanic. He doesn't exist. That model doesn't exist anymore. And it's like, that's a classic model. But anyway, let's go into what nightly orders actually are and why I'm so annoyed that they don't exist. So nightly orders are your stereotypical image of a knight in shining armor on a horse the horse is covered in metal barding. the 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 rider is covered in full metal plate and they ride to war on these massive war horses and are your big hitters um they are generally the the noble sons uh the sons of nobles and they've been sent off to war to prove themselves um but because war horses and armor and plate is so expensive within the empire A lot of nobles nobles can't actually afford to kit them out. So what they do is they join a brotherhood of knights. Um, So they can kind of all band together and kind of camaraderie and share expenses and actually support each other and get the armour. There are many, many, many orders of knights within the the empire. Some of the more famous ones are the Order of the Blazing, knights of the white wolf which we mentioned earlier which managed to kill is it vlad uh, something like that yeah. yeah i remember which one there's the knight's griffins there's order of the black bear and the knight's panther knight's panther are famous because they went down to Arabe and they fought uh some wars wars down in arabay against nagash and when they came back they brought back um the skins of panthers from Arabe, and nobody in the empire had ever seen this before and so they, their symbol is panther and they go around wearing panther skins each order has its own heraldry and customs and they are very distinct and that makes them stand out on the battlefield um and so these are very much kind of like your knightly orders that we used to have in like the middle ages um not so much this, um a little bit different to the bretonian kind of knightly orders stuff um which are the ones in the long the horses have the long Robes and things on them. These are full on horses acting as tanks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely love them. And I had a Knights of the White Wolf army and I am so sad that I cannot have a Knights of the White Wolf esque thing in Age of Sigmar. And it makes me very sad and it hurts. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's it's a bummer. Um one of the cool things about the Empire Knights is that they some of them actually do have like different weapons and stuff. Most of them just like, carry like lances and the like, but you know Knights of the White Wolf as you mentioned they all have they're just these knights with giant warhammers basically yeah. that are just uh knocking dudes around as they uh ride by and then there's the uh, Knights of moor who are these mounted tank-like knights that all have scythes and are you know just wicked heavy metal
1: yeah um the Knights of the White Wolf um I love them because they were very Teutonic and they had massive warhammers and then I learned what a real warhammer looks like and I thought why don't you have real warhammers they're like tin openers. Um, yeah. If, if if anybody's not really sure what a real Warhammer looks like, Google it. It's, it doesn't look as impressive as you think, but when you kind of think about the tech, uh, what it is and how it works, it's absolutely terrifying. It's a tin mm. opener. Anyway, moving on from that, um, the next kind of big thing within the Empire's army and arsenal. So you've got these massive nightly orders which will just thunder down in these tank-like. Um, horses. You've got your basic militia and mercenaries and your basic troops. You have the Imperial Engineers Guild, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit within the guilds. But the Imperial Engineers Guild is where the technology comes from. Kind of, if you can imagine, it, it would be what would kind of create the industrial revolution. Kind of pushing the technology and it's learning new things it's it's discovered steam power and it's discovered all this steampunk stuff so your mechanical horse it's built your steam tanks and it's built a lot of other really weird and fantastical things like there's an ice gun they've actually designed an ice ray which is a bit weird and I'm not quite sure how that works but interestingly it, it was founded 500 years ago by Tillian. it was not an empire invention so Atillian uh, founded it, it now basically makes most of the weapons uh, for the armies of the empire. So it creates all the guns and muskets. Um, it creates all the mortars and cannons. Uh, it creates the Hellfire rockets, uh, Hellfire rockets, and stuff like that. And the the rotating gun that I can't remember the name of. Uh, no.
0: Um Hellblast oh, Volley Cannon. Hellblast Volley uh, Cannon. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, so because the Talian character is uh obviously based off um what can I think of his name? Uh famous like Italian da Vinci? da Vinci, yeah. So Vinci, yeah, you know, and obviously mid. all of his designs, and so that's kind of yeah. like what that character is a standard for. I mean, you only have to go to um you only have to go to the Doge's Palace in Venice and you can see weapons that date back from like you know the 15 1600s which are completely yeah. crazy looking but they have that that you know they did do experimental weaponry uh those duck uh duck beak kind of like guns where you've got like five or six um you know pistol uh muzzles tied together that are fired all at once uh yep. and obviously with the trade with um Trade along the silk uh, the Silk Road to the east and bringing gunpowder and that brings rockets and much in the same way the empire has that uh, and obviously the thing that makes the imperial engineers again kind of interesting is you've got that element of alchemy and uh, magic which combined with yeah. their weaponry makes for some interesting uh, things which the I c- mean to-
1: celestial fulcrum or whatever it's called kind of towards the end of eighth edition where they yeah got weird 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 Magical thing that
0: was yeah. mental. And then to round out, obviously, there's religious fighters. We said about the knights, but obviously, you can have masses of flagellants through. For- for for Crusades, Witch Hunters and uh, Warrior Priests that represent the religions, uh, whether they're Ulrich or Sigmar. Uh, The Colleges of Magic brings us Battle Mages from one of the eight schools to one of the eight Winds of Magic. So that's basically, we'll talk about magic in the Old World but it's really the the fact that their formulation of magic for humans makes it safe, whereas if you try to do uh, high magic like the elves uh, you'd mostly inadvertently bring out dark magic because humans are obviously um, not very fragile. good at it, and fragile, and uh, easily uh, swayed to the dark ways. Um, travel will quickly go over. So, as Mike's put, there are numerous roads through very deep, wooded, forested areas. Much of the empire is covered in forest. Didn't so we we, we did cover, we
1: did do
0: an episode. Oh, we did this on our very first one, didn't we? We said yeah, we, we, we right talked right, about travel. We, we, but yeah. as, to reiterate, you know, it, it's difficult. We've got river travel. Uh, we've got bandits on these uh, roads. We've got uh, orcs and highwaymen and uh, even wood elves in the woods. Uh, you will also have cutthroats and so forth who will take advantage of you. Uh, yeah, it's travel is not easy. Um, but obviously it is, you know, it is worth it if you wish to. You'll make money, you'll make bank out of it by taking goods from one city to another where they can't, you know, produce things. So, um, we've covered a lot of information there. We've got a lot of information about how the Empire works, operates, how it goes to war, uh it's faith, religion, um, and politics and so forth. What this really means then for us rather quickly, um, very quickly, in the space of like, let's say five, ten minutes, how does this flavor how we play, how we run fantasy? Because I see a lot of this is more about how you establish the background, the, the yeah. canvas to the story that you're running.
1: So obviously, the, the the fourth edition rulebook, the game is set in Reikland. So knowing some of this background stuff obviously allows you to kind of then understand kind of where the, the rulebook is pointing you, and the ideas that it wants to fit in with it. All the current modules and scenarios are set within the right clan or close to the right clan Enemy in the shadows, enemy within does branch out eventually, but it does start off within the right clan And so if you can understand the Empire and its history and its workings and everything that's already written and out there, you can take it and then expand it. Um, so it allows you definitely to kind of look at things in where the main setting is.
0: Um, I mean, the thing which strikes me with this is like, as, as when Mike was going through like uh, taxes and so forth. I mean, for role playing, we're playing often quite mundane, very mundane characters in Warhammer Fantasy. And I think, if anything, knowing a lot of this allows you to really establish what is mundane. And I think, Mike, we've discussed this before with like settings, is if you could establish the mundane, And get players rooted in the mundane during the campaign, you know, episode to episode. When you then throw out, and then there's vampires, or, or, you know, so what they're doing is actually vampires. That feels much more shocking and horrific and weird.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, But I think one of the cool things about the Empire is that you can there's there's a bit of freedom to the characters and for you as a storyteller to get them to interact with these kind of um uh uh, more unique elements you know so the entire enemy within storyline you know classically in first edition ended with the um the power behind the throne and dealing with stuff with the emperor so eventually the characters can work up to a position where they're actually dealing with these high-end politics but even stuff on the more like military side you know there's a whole military Industrial complex, if you will. so maybe the characters have to get some uh, Hawkland long rifles to uh some soldiers in a uh, different part of the empire you know get it up to uh, middenheim, for example, or maybe the um the uh, uh, Imperial or the uh, the engineers guild uh, needs some poor saps to do some testing you know maybe they've made this uh <laughs> large cast- iron scuba suit which you need to stick a bunch of uh characters in or maybe they're making a the submarine or something you know you can do fun oh, stuff like that so as the Yeah, that'd be a a, a blast, actually. (laughs) That'd be a good little adventure.
1: Cool. It's kind of big-scale stuff as well, but you've also got kind of a lot of what what Chris says a lot is we call call Worm of Fantasy gutter-punk. So unlike D&D, where you are looking to create that kind of grand-scale story, look at Klaus, look at Chig's character in, in Enemy Within. You can go for a proper, proper peasant and have a f- little bit of fun with have have everybody some pe- have have everybody peasants, and how do they deal with this bloke who's coming and tried to charge them taxes? So you can go from such a very very base level of that, all the way up to um, some of the stuff where you would end up dealing with the 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 guilds, and then up to the elect accounts, and then further up like that. There's this whole plethora of levels that you can actually play within fantasy roleplay. And I love the fact that you can actually play a peasant who has probably never seen a gold coin in their entire life
0: or doesn't know what they are. I think also the setting quite happily accommodates gothic horror. Mm. Uh, So, you know, I think, Mike, you're a big fan of like Curse of Strahd for like DD. I think Mm -hmm. you can take a lot of the lessons learned from that and apply them to Warhammer fantasy, wherever it is, you know, you're up against a necromancer in some old castle. Uh, obviously you can look at drachenfels and take so drachenfels at...
1: is the key there isn't it yeah
0: sylvania mordheim itself has gothic elements uh, and i believe there's actually a uh, you know there's likely with alchemy and stuff you could likely put in like strange frankenstein type monsters that i think thematically fits the uh, the empire and so forth so you know sure. then we look at things like you know headless horseman which is in hellraiser hell of halt, which is classic yeah kind of gothic kind of horror. Uh you can do ghost stories quite happily. Uh and then you can go all the way back to your more classic kind of fantasy where you've got, you know, orcs and goblins in the mines and you're helping the dwarves out because you know that's what you do. You're friends with dwarves. that's what the cult of Sigmar is, does as part of its creed is you know helping befriending the dwarves. So yes, I think that, there's there's it, a lot it, of scope.
1: Within the empire, it... Sigma helped the dwarves out, and so the dwarves are obliged to help the empire, but are very grudgingly mm. helping the empire. And there's a very big book of grudges about this entire thing, um, yeah. Which we can de- deal with, deal with when we talk about that. Um,
0: but bring yeah. I think resources... I was going to say I think we were at the out of time here because there's a lot of stuff we could go over, yeah. but. There's a lot of breadth to the empire. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. Uh, yes. And tonally, so thematically, you can do a lot with the setting. Mm. Um, and as I say, you can go from the very bottom all the way to the very top—grand politics, or just you know dealing with the guilds, or who stole your sheep and it was actually beastmen—and um, uh, uh, <laughs> and that's kind of fun. Um, but to wrap up, obviously, again, thanks, Mike and Dave, for going through this. If people have more questions and topics they want us to cover on Dark Hammer, please contact us at uh, DarkDaysRadio at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us this episode and previous ones at www.darker-days.org. You can find us on Twitter at Dark days Radio and Instagram and on Facebook. You can talk on our Discord and talk about Warhammer there. Uh, and, of course, if you want to watch us play this Setting, you can go over to Gehenna Gaming's Twitch and YouTube, where you'll find previous episodes of the campaign, and you will find the playthrough of Hell Rides Halt. And you can head over to Cupid 7's website and on Drive Through RPG, where you can find Hell Rides Halt, and that is download right now for a measly five dollars, just five dollars. It looks and, and... four dollars. Oh well, there you go. Um, like... So we're going to finish there. Uh, so thanks again, guys, and uh, that was that was fun. <laughs> yeah. We did a lot in a very
1: short period of time.
0: Yeah, uh, that was crazy. So uh, we'll speak again, uh, likely on some other topic in one of the other worlds of the Universe. So goodbye for now.
2: Take it easy.